Cheers. Cheers. That feels good to do that. It does indeed. Instead of clunk, I'm Ambi. I'm Kana. Welcome to Diplomacy Games. The podcast where we talk all things diplomacy whilst getting pretty shickered. Yep. And as you may have listened and noticed, that was a glass-on-glass contact in a um, COVID-safe venue. Yes. Um, So we're at the Red Hook. It's on Geshem Lane. Geshem Lane. Geshem Lane. Um, in the CBD of Brisbane, yep. and you booked a table for us. That's right. It's and one of the few places that are actually open for drinks and food. So within uh, within Queensland, where we live, um, the rules are venues can only have 10 patrons. Yes, 10 at a time. 10 at a time. You've got to maintain 1.5 metres. We're probably close to that, but whatever part. Yeah. And you can't have more than four people per square metre. So And you have to order food. And had to order food if you want to drink alcohol. So Sneaky asked for bought, you know, like a little tiny bucket of chips. Yep. I plan on making that last for as long as it takes to get this podcast all recorded it's for not, you guys. It's not doing well because I'm just whooping into them. <laughs> Might have to order another one soon. But uh, we're drinking, I've got a Newtowner Pale Ale. I, I did the same. A Young Henry's? The Young Henry's. Yeah. yeah. So. I thought you might have gone, actually no, they had a one of the Young Henry's cider there, but I think they've run out of the keg or whatever. It's probably not worth their while to tap it with. And the other um, the other beer was sort of like a tropical, fruity-type beer, and I just wasn't in the mood. No, no. It's getting a little, little bit cooler now. Yes. Almost, um, well, got down to seven degrees a couple of nights ago in Ipswich. It was. It was a cool night, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, those of you in the Northern Hemisphere going, what? That's what's, nothing. What's seven? Well, actually, probably don't even know what seven degrees. Those of you listening in... Um, North America, the US. What is it? What's that in Fahrenheit? I don't know. I'm trying to Google it now. Um, 44.6 degrees Fahrenheit. You're probably laughing at us. What, what are you talking about? We go sunbathing in that. Yeah, weak. Soft cocks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it, it's, it's good to at last not be um, doing everything, you know, uh, online as a, you know, catching up. Yep. The audio quality's probably gone downhill again, but... <laughs> Such as it is. That's right. Um, but we did catch you. Um, we got a good interview. Got a great interview. Lined up for yes. you guys today. Yep. Um, should we dump straight into it, or oh, hang on, no, we got some correspondence from um, a couple of loyal listeners. Oh, do we? Yeah, we did. Which so one? Apparently, oh. I've been pronouncing in Jabot's name incorrect all this time. It's actually in. That's right, in Jabot. I think I always call them. I always call them Ingabot. So, yeah, so Ingabot. You think it is now? It's in Gbot. I think it's in Geebot. Because it says like gee like geese. Gee? Geese. Geese. In Geebot. Did he give us a, like a backstory as to his name? Well, he said it's in the beginning of... He talks a all about that in the beginning of the full public press in that game you're in. Oh, Jesus Mind Christ. your business or okay. whatever. Um, and that was the business. game that... Set your business. That's the one you were kind of complaining that was just too many things to read through. Yeah, and I don't hold any grudges against people who knock me out pretty quick smart because I pretty much just made a public message to everyone saying that you know there was no way I was going to be able to keep up with the messages I'm just going to go gun boat from here on out unless I survive the next few seasons in which case I might re-emerge but yep all right let's have a look state your business and let's go to the messages there let's see what in G-Box um backstory in G-Box in G-Box we're probably even mancing that wrong 
skin skin ghee boss. Ghee is like that um, Indian clarified butter, isn't it? Ghee. Yeah, no, it's not butter. It's like condensed lard, isn't it? No, ghee. it is butter. I've made it before. Ghee. Yeah. So ghee, you get you basically you get butter, you melt it down, wait for the solid fats to go to the top of the the, um, the pan or whatever or the bowl. Yeah. And then you've got to strain it through like a cheesecloth or whatever to remove that. And then what's left over is ghee. So it's removing the fats out of the butter. Oh. Okay. Apparently it's healthy. It takes a long time to fucking make it. So have you found what he said? Uh, it's loading. No, it's loading. Okay, cool. Well, we won't worry about that. Maybe we'll talk about that when we come back from the uh, the interview with Chris Martin. Yes. So Chris Martin back on the show again. Um He's got lots of great things to talk about, particularly with regards to his uh, Diplomacy Academy, his YouTube channel, and just stuff in general diplomacy. So maybe we'll throw over to Chris and see where it goes from here. Sounds like a plan, and while um, we're listening to that, we will uh, might have to get another thing of chips. Yeah, I reckon we'll get some, you know, chicken wings or something. Find out what's on Find out what's cheap and not on sale. Okay, <laughs> see you guys on the other side. Chris Martin, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. No worries. Um, things have obviously moved on a lot in the world since you were last on. I think last time you were, talk, you were here um, promoting WDC in DC. Um, and I think uh, this year, obviously, there's another WDC back in America, back in the States, but uh, may have a bit of a slight corona cloud over it. I mean, the world's really changed a lot since uh, since we last had you on. So, uh how have you been faring? I've been doing well. I took almost all of 2019 off of diplomacy uh, entirely. I was just so burnt out after World Dipcon, uh, and then there were some shenanigans that followed it that I don't want to get into. But I took a year off, and then finally came back and started playing again this year, and then kind of got sucked back in to promoting some stuff. And then when we all got put into lockdown, I thought, well, this is the perfect time to start running up the videos again so that's what i've been doing so and the videos of course are um the diplomacy academy over on youtube um i think people would find that what is it under youtube.com slash dance scholar is that where it is dance scholar is uh is my youtube channel and you can search for that you can search for diplomacy academy uh it's pretty easy to find i think we've got 11 episodes of that up now um, and runs the gamut from uh, intermediate level advice on how to play the game and how to write press and how to do tactics and then talks a little bit about playing online versus playing face-to-face. Uh, I've got some sections on tools that you can use, how to use Backstabber, how to use WebEx Teams, how to use Discord. Uh, just kind of run on the gamut of things that seem interesting at any given moment. And I, I think what's really great um, around, obviously, the video as a as an actual communication um, media is the fact that it's not just podcasts. Obviously, it's lots of blah blah blah, lots of talking, but you've you've got that ability to kind of um, you know, show certain things, and that's one thing I actually really love about your channel. You know, when you're actually kind of giving uh, examples and you're having you know 
the screen showing you what's happening on within a backstabber game and, and how certain moves would kind of result in a certain certain outcome. So I think that helps people visualise that because obviously the, the game itself is a very visual game, whether you're playing face-to-face or whether you're playing online. It involves interacting with a map and moving units around as well as obviously communicating with people. And, and when you're communicating with people in, in um, real life, there's obviously that... Um, face-to-face component of seeing how they react, their body language and so forth. I think before we started recording, uh, we were just catching up briefly on video um, and and I think you made the comment that, you know, it's a lot, you find that a little bit better and and I agree, but we (laughs) deprecate it down to make sure that the audio quality stays okay. Um, So, I mean, you've, you've obviously primarily involved at the moment in that whole face-to-face environment uh, again in promoting that. Are you finding, uh, or actually you're promoting really the game as a whole, aren't you? Um, are you finding that the, the changes that the world's had to kind of make and the hobbies had to make around uh, the coronavirus is having uh, a creative impact on what you're doing? Yeah, definitely. The About five years ago, there was a guy from the Pittsburgh hobby uh, uh, and, he, and he was near enough to the Washington, D.C. area where I lived that he would come down and play some games. He was a real big advocate for using something like Backstabber to do all the adjudications for a real-time face-to-face game because you wouldn't get the kinds of mistakes that you get when humans make the adjudications. There's always shenanigans and, and honest mistakes happening when you get people who are trying to look at a complex set of orders and results, uh, and so he was like, hey, let's just solve this. Let's have everybody put in orders when they're ready, and we'll process them, and then we'll look at the map, and we'll go. And he actually brought like seven laptops with him uh, to a game once, trying to get people to do this. But it was just too slow and cumbersome, and people weren't ready yet. Now today, where we can't get together anymore, people are trying this now. And um, in the States, we've had the Chicago hobby and the Minnesota hobby uh, have had a series of games where they've played with 15 or 20 minute deadlines and run all the adjudications through Backstabber and they've used, I think, Skype um, or uh, Slack uh, or Discord to communicate with each other for negotiations. And it's been pretty successful. Um, So successful that uh, a couple of people here in the North American hobby uh, Siobhan Nolan from California and Brandon Fogel from Chicago and I have done some live streams of these games where we just kind of get on and talk about what's happening on these two boards and do analysis and it's really kind of brought a lot more interest I think in this hybrid form where you play a game in six or seven hours but you're doing it online. And I think you've, I mean, the day we're recording this is, or sorry, the evening for you is the evening before um, DixieCon. You've got the same thing happening tomorrow, haven't you? Yeah. In fact, David Hood uh, kind of jumped on this bandwagon when he saw that it was successful. and He knew that he couldn't get people together for, I think, the 34th year of DixieCon. Uh, uh, this would have been DixieCon 34. And so he said he would try and do it online. And man... He has put a ton of work getting this together. If you can imagine trying to wrangle more than 100 people from all over the world, trying to get them in, and uh, it's going to happen tomorrow. He says he's got uh, 11 boards uh, for the morning round. It's going to be two rounds. Uh, He's going to kick off at like 10 in the morning, uh, his local time, 
and then do another game starting at six in the evening, local time. And uh, Siobhan and Brandon and I are going to live stream a lot of that as well. Oh, okay. I, d- I didn't know that there was there was two separate times because. Um I was actually contemplating participating online, but um, the, the time zones were horrendous. I think 10 a.m. In, in the U.S. is like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or something like that over here. So I, I wasn't prepared to sacrifice my sleep. <laughs> but the 6, the 6 p.m. one uh, would just be about two hours back from where it is right now. So it'd be just early in the morning for you, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I'll, I'll see how I go. I don't know if I'll, I'm not sure if I'll have time. To be perfectly honest, now I've um, probably made too many other commitments. Um, how do you actually find that experience when you're um, commentating a game? It, it's kind of it seems very surreal. It's like the thing you'd normally kind of expect, you know, football um, commentators or something like that to be, you know, playing, do giving a, a play-by-play analysis of what's going on. Um, what's it like to be on the on the end of you know the microphone, so to speak, watching you know, other people playing and and commentating on that? Well, it's it is a lot like doing color commentary for sports, whether it's footy or hockey or, or baseball or cricket or anything like that. Uh, there's you've got to keep the conversational ball rolling, and sometimes that's tough. Um, when I did the, uh, I did a series on the World Diplomacy Championships in 2016 in Chicago, where I pulled apart a lot of negotiations that I filmed at an earlier time and did analysis on them and then on the moves. I think that really helped because I kind of got used to looking at a position and talking about a position. And then diplomacy players universally love talking about what happened, what could have happened, what should have happened. So with Siobhan and Brandon and I to kick these things around, I think it's actually really easy and kind of fun. I don't know that I would be down for watching seven hours of commentary on a game, but like we've had 10 or 12 people who've been with us the entire seven hours of these broadcasts, as well as people dropping in and out. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, right. Did you get much of a feel for, for like when you interact with it? Because from I was in, I played uh, one of the Minnesota club games, and um, I think that was being commentated by um, I think it was it was a Brandon and Siobhan and, and um, uh, Andrew Goff and someone else, um, Eric Mead, I think. So. There. And then Chris Kelly, they've done it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So um, and. and the funny part was when you're playing, I had no idea it was going on. So right. <laughs> it wasn't until well, sort of like the sports players, they don't care about the color commentary, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to kind of I, I don't know. Are they are they recorded? Can you listen to them later or? Yeah. Um, there are a couple of them that have been that have stayed up. We did a couple uh, live streams. The last one we did was on Facebook Live. If you go to the Windy City Weasels Facebook page, I think you can find that one. And then we posted the links on Twitter to a couple other ones. I can get them to you if you want to link them somewhere in the podcast to the body of it. We're doing YouTube Live tomorrow, and those will stay up, I'm sure. Ah, okay, excellent, excellent. Um, that's, that's really good. It, it, from the one that I was mentioning before with the Minnesota one, I think there was like, uh, you know, people could you know, send messages and things. Do you, do you get that happening as well? And do you get much interaction that way with the with the audience? Yeah, a fair bit. It's, it's funny. Um, 
we've got a couple of folks who are just kind of dedicated fans of the stream, and they're always in there. Uh, you can count on John Jameson at some point to argue that people should go to North Africa for no better reason than he wants to see somebody in North Africa. Um, and then you've got people who are kind of making suggestions or, or offering feedback on what could have happened or what should have happened or maybe why something happened. The hardest thing, I think, about commentating on live diplomacy games is that we don't know anything about the actual negotiations. All we can do is infer from what's happened on the board and then any kind of tidbits that we get uh, from the GMs who are interacting with Brandon, who's kind of organizing. So Brandon kind of acts as a moderator, as the sort of the, the person who kind of leads the conversation and moves us between games, while Siobhan and I kind of act as color. And Brandon has a separate channel open to the people who are GMing the games. So for example, we've heard things like Brian Ecton um, as France, and Jason Massbaum, uh, American players who know each other as England, um, in the, in the game we did a couple weeks ago, Jason opened to the channel and Wales and then convoyed into Brest, and we heard from the GM that Brian Ecton said, wow, Jason, I might have to start respecting you now. And we all cracked up, of course, because that's just hilarious. It's just, it's perfect, exactly the kind of thing that would happen. But then, in, a, in even a more funny way, the following week, Brian Ecton was Germany and he lost Munich in 1901 to a French player. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does tomorrow. Um, with 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 regards to the dance, sorry, dance what am I saying? Diplomacy Academy. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Dance Academy is a different channel. I, I try not to plug that here. <laughs> I don't know. I think there might be a bit of opportunity for a crossover. <laughs> um, you, you've you've put out uh, four new videos um, as of when we're recording this now. Do you, do you kind of um, plan to keep that ball rolling? And, and if so, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts? So I wanted to get um, some kind of cadence going on this. And with the, the lockdown, I'm very lucky. I can work from home. My wife can work from home. My son is home from university. He, he took the semester off. So the pressures that I might have that other people have aren't there for me so much but I am in sales and I can't go and visit my customers. And so that really limits a lot of the work that I would do. So I have a little bit of extra time on my hands and putting that into making these episodes has, has really helped. Personally, I mean, just flat out, it's helped my mental health. Uh, I'm feeling better than I was when I wasn't doing them. I've got something to, to do and look forward to. And for me, creative stuff has always been like that. I go in surges where I'm inspired and I'm really, really working on something I'm excited about. And then it kind of crashes a little bit and I maybe need to take a break. I want to kind of avoid that, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do two episodes a month uh, with a lot of quality. One of those episodes was really just an interview with Eddie Rasan that I filmed uh, in 2016. And that didn't take much work and I was able to put it out. And Two of those episodes were kind of geared towards helping people make a transition if they wanted to, to this kind of hybrid form of diplomacy. So there was a real urgency about them, like how do you use backstabber to enter orders or enter press or make a, you know, do a draw vote? And then uh, how can you do negotiations online if you're used to face-to-face? -face? And how do you handle the time pressure if you're used to you know, days uh, between adjudications? 
So for the, the stuff like tactics, I've got something queued up for stalemate lines. I've got something queued up for even just bottlenecks. Uh, tempo, um, England and why they need armies in order to win. How St. Petersburg is kind of a trap for him. I've got all these ideas, but they really take a lot of work to get on video. Um, and that's, that's the hard part, I think, is in, in keeping a cadence, is that it's, it's got to be, I really want the quality to be good. I try and keep the time to less than 25 minutes. I really want it to be less than 20 minutes because I want it to be consumable uh, in one sitting. And, and that drives sort of the, the regularity, with which I think I'm going to be able to put out episodes moving forward. I'm definitely looking to keep going at least one episode a month through the summertime. Excellent. Um, actually, one thing I do appreciate from from watching when you're recording, um, you you obviously have a very clear idea in your mind what you're going to be saying because uh, you, you don't unless of course you're using a teleprompter and I don't notice. Uh, is, is there any tricks to the trade? Because you, you you don't seem to have your eyes going off anywhere, like you know, looking at um, dot points or anything like that to kind of gravitate your, your thinking. Or well, how do you how do you normally just organize and record one of these sessions? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, some of them are a little more freeform than others, and I think you can tell if you if you watched some of them. Um, like if you listen, if you just go back thirty or forty-five seconds and listen to what I said in that last section of the conversation, I didn't know what I was going to say when I started. Uh, I just kind of freeformed it, and it kind of evolved as I said it. But what I try and do is have an outline and record you know, 30, 45 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds at a time, and then listen to it and see, does that say what I wanted to say for this section? Um, and then I'll do the next section, and I'll go through it. And what I'll do then is I'll kind of chop them all together. And sometimes I get like three and a half, four and a half, five minutes in a, in a, in a flow, but that's maybe the exception more than the rule. So I've got like three things that I want people to take away from the episode. Um, let's say I want them to know that the fleet in London should open to the English Channel more often than it does, and that's one takeaway. And then I want them to know that in order for England to win in a solo victory, they're going to need more armies than fleets. And then I want them to know that St. Petersburg is a trap, and that's an episode that I've got. So I've got, then I've got sort of hooks that I can hang sections around, and I'll build uh, sandboxes uh, in backstabber.com or, um, and I haven't done this yet, with like a physical board that I take a picture of, or I'll look at an actual example from a game and I'll talk over it and then it'll start to come together and at the end I'll do the introduction because you never really know what you're going to talk about until you've finished putting it together. So there's no point, I think, in trying to do an introduction before you've got the meat of the episode together. And then that ties in with the conclusion, and uh, you and you put that all together, and you got an episode. Cool. Uh, a lot of a lot of you mentioned before uh, a number of the more recent videos have been inspired, so to speak, with some of the changes happening with coronavirus. Where do you see? Sorry, I'll rephrase the question. What aspects that we're currently going through when it comes to gameplay because of everything moving online do you actually see um, continuing into the future uh, even once we get back to a, a normal world again? Yeah, that's a great question because 
I don't think we're going to move back to normal. I don't think we're going to move back to the way things were, right? There will be a new normal. And one of the things that I hope happens is that people become more comfortable with this idea of spending a day playing diplomacy virtually. I don't know that that's going to happen. One of the things about um, face-to-face tournaments and the way they worked is that you stopped what you were doing in your life and you went someplace, right? You went to a, a bar or a hotel or a convention center or, or somebody's house and you spent the weekend playing diplomacy. And so it was very easy for you either to take time off or to, to make a deal with your significant other and your partner and say, hey, I'm going to be out for this time. It's a little harder when you're in your living room or your home office and the dog is barking and the cat's screaming and the kids are crying to say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm on a 15-minute deadline, I can't help you. Um, so that's, that's something that, with any luck, will be more common. Uh, I've heard people talking about doing something like a World Diplomacy League, where you have these games and you can do them in different time zones and they're like with the face-to-face timing, but with the online format. And then you play like a year's worth in the various regions or theaters, time zones, and then at the end of six months or nine months or whatever, you hold some kind of tournament. Um, There's some exciting possibilities around that, but it's challenging to say the least, to get people who are used to spending maybe an hour, maybe less, you know, sending email, reading email, thinking about press, analyzing a map, you know, once a day, to commit to a full day of gaming. So I'm not sure. I do think we're going to have more of these kinds of events where uh, we have an online portion. I know some tournament directors are thinking about, well, what if we allowed virtual participants at this tournament? How would that work? And say you've got people who are there in person and then you've got people who are there and they have like an iPad or a tablet and that's their presence for negotiation. And you can pick up the tablet and go and walk away and have a negotiation with the person on that tablet uh, and then hold it hostage like you would in any other kind of diplomacy game. Um, (laughs) But there's some awesome possibility towards uh, expanding the audience, expanding the capability to participate with people and build relationships, right? Through this sort of online, face-to-face kind of video teleconferencing that you don't get as much of with email. Um, when when you're looking at current games that are being played online, sorry, or for the like an online tournament now, which have normally been face-to-face. Uh, are you seeing, or from your perspective, do you think that there's people who are normal online players who never play face-to-face who are kind of coming into this hybrid environment for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. They're at least dipping their toe in the water, right? And I think that this is a kind of an intermediate step between actually showing up in a room with strangers, which they don't want to do. Um, Being online with strangers, okay, that's something that we've done before. And for that kind of as a halfway step uh, is a way for them to dip their toe in it. Um, And at the same time, there are face-to-face players who are playing online and have never played online. Um, And as I said in in the most recent video that I made about this, for, for some of these in both groups, it's the worst of both worlds, right? 
you have the online experience, except it's really fast, right? And you kind of have the face-to-face -face experience, but you've got to deal with this technology that's getting in your way. Um, that said, I think that's about learning curve, and I think that both of those groups of people can learn to kind of come together in the middle and have a, a very viable, very positive experience. Cool. Um, one thing I, I find that's interesting with your videos, Chris, is um, where you record them. There seems to be a number of different um, diplomacy awards and things in the background. Uh, we might just, uh, I might just put my video on now so I can kind of see you and maybe you can put your video on. <laughs> I can even pan around a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, my vanity wall. Your vanity yeah. wall. So tell us about the vanity wall. Is this like a little shrine to your um, your diplomacy experience or what? This is a selection of some of the more colorful awards. Um, up at the top there is the World Diplomacy Championships from 1998. Uh, that's when I won Worlds at, at DixieCon, actually. Then I've got my first place from Weaselmoot in 2011, my first place from Philadelphia Massacre in 2015, um, a first place from PrezCon in 2004, uh, the North American Grand Prix, which was sort of a general uh, circuit, right, uh, best results. And then I've got my best country awards from DixieCon and a 1999 first place in the middle. So I actually have the full set of um, best country awards from DixieCon over the years. Um, and then the first place there. Then I've got, let's see, I've got, um, I've got a cup from France. That was uh, best France at the World DipCon in Paris. And then another best friends, and then up on top there, I've got um, a Husky Con Award. I've got a best England. That's uh, Eastern Swing Championship. And honestly, I've got a box of them uh, <laughs> that I can cycle through. It's you know when you play this game for thirty years and you're pretty good at it, uh, you end up walking away with a lot of a lot of you know uh, cabinetry and all the stuff to put on your cabinets. Um, we have a friend of the hobby who lives in North Carolina, and he's been going to a couple of tournaments for like railroad games, and and he has like the entire it's like wallpaper that he has for the awards that he's won over the last you know forty years. So, um, and then this is the Winter Classic, uh, which is a hockey uh, event. It's a hockey game that is played in an outdoor baseball stadium, and this is my Washington Capitals who defeated the Chicago Blackhawks. In uh, 2015, I was there with my son. It was a great event. <laughs> so, and uh, that's, that's an Ironman uh, banner from when I did Ironman Lake Tahoe uh, triathlon in 2015. Cool. And, and importantly, you're, you've got a beer. What are you, what are you, what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> I'm drinking a, um, a fine American lager called um, Yingling uh, from Texas. No, Yingling. It's a it's Pennsylvania one. I. I like Shinerbach from Texas, but this is a game. Cool. Um, as, as we talked about before we came online, it's still the morning here, so we're not drinking, unfortunately. Um, berries, mimosas. You could have had a drink. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, so, I mean, with all that experience that you've had, I mean, this is the great thing, I think, about actually the 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 academy. It's, it's an opportunity, I think, for you to kind of give something back to the community and, and obviously the community's... <laughs> Um, you know, lapping all that up, which is fantastic. Um, do you find? I mean, you, do you play much at the moment now? 
I have been trying to get back into playing more. My enjoyment of the game is very touch and go, right? Um, and a lot of that has to do with sort of, like I said, my mental health. And um, I'm the kind of person who has big swings. Um, and not super like manic depressive, I don't know if that's the way I would call it, but there, there's a history of that kind of stuff in my family and I've inherited my share of it. So when I'm up and when I'm on and when I'm loving it, I, I go full tilt and then it kind of crashes and burns for me a little bit. So when I came back, I came back in January of this year and I went to Vancouver and I saw Asians going through the airport with masks on their faces and I thought, is that just a normal thing? And uh, yeah, it was the start right then of it. So um, that, that's, that made it topical. But I played, I think, three games of diplomacy in Vancouver. I think I only played two and sat out around. And in, in one game, everybody jumped me straight out of the gate, which is very normal for me. And I just could not be bothered with people's bullshit. Right? They wanted to tell me, oh, no, I'm really only attacking you because everybody else was. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, fine. Shut up, I'm going to decide who wins. And now it's not going to be you who gets any of my dots. And that's fine. So uh, that's how that went. And then the second game, I had a much more normal game. I enjoyed the people I was working with. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun. And I played a couple house games. I played some online stuff. And I played some gunboat. I like the game. I like the people. Uh, in the game. One of the things that has driven a lot of experienced players from the hobby, I think, is being able to see the board, see the interactions, know what is going to happen next if people don't change course, and then not be able to convince them that you know what's going to happen. Because by gosh, they know, and by gosh, they're not going to be persuaded by you and your silver tongue. You're just trying to mess them up which of course you are. And that's the conflict, right? Um, there's, a, there's a trap there. And seeing the same kinds of patterns unfold and evolve and not uh, having other people understand what it means when they do these things can be really frustrating. That drives a lot of the videos, yeah? I had uh, an episode teed up about six months ago um, from an online game that I played, and it was, you know, you're Austria, and um, no, it was, it was Italy, Turkey, Austria, and the question was, uh, if, if the other side of the board has resolved, and you're Italy, and you know that France and Germany are going to come for you, or England and Germany, or England, France, whoever it is, they're going to come, do you kill Austria, or do you kill Turkey, if you have the chance? And the answer is always you kill Turkey. There's no other choice in the mid-game as you head into the end game. Because if you don't, Turkey will always stab you. Turkey should always stab you, right? They should have the opportunity to make a big dot grab and end up with the lion's share of points. And it doesn't matter what kind of system you're in, they should, they will have the opportunity to do that. But Austria won't. And so you should always just know that if you get to that point in the game, this is how the structure's unfolded. Oh no, fleet's coming into the med. We've got like a year to finish this up. Stab Austria, stab Turkey. You always stab Turkey. And maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. But if you go the other route and you stab Austria and you work with Turkey, that always ends in disaster for Austria. 
almost always, uh, for Italy rather, almost ends, actually for Austria or Italy, um, and usually ends in disaster for Russia, but maybe less so. So why does that happen sometimes? Is it just because they don't believe your silver tongue, or is there some type of cultural element within that community that's the way that they play, or what? No, I actually think that it's about relationships, and that over the course of the game, a competent turkey is going to work to develop the kind of relationship where Italy believes that they will not stab them at the end of the game, or, or the other player, right? Even if they're fighting, if you're good and you're turkey, you know you're waiting for 1905 or 1906. Uh, if that's how the game is played and people are like not letting you out of the box, you've got to just be patient. You're going to turtle up. Maybe you'll be at three, maybe you'll be at four, but as long as you don't lose the Black Sea and as long as an army doesn't show up in Syria or Smyrna or Armenia, you're going to be around. And you're just waiting for whoever that third person is in the West to be cut out and for the rest of the board to pivot around and the other people next to you to go, oh no, We've got armies coming into Silesia and Bohemia, and we got fleets coming into the Western Med. We got to turn around, and you're like, "That's right, you guys have to turn around." I'm swear, I'm happy. I'll be back here on two or three. You go fight them. You don't mean that, but you got to say it. You got to make them believe you mean it, and that, and and so that's just a. You watch a hundred games. You watch a thousand games of diplomacy played where that comes up two or three hundred times. And you see how that plays, you know what the right answer is. Now, people who played 20 times, people who played 30 times, people who even, you know, played 100 times don't know that. So that's one of the purposes of the Diplomacy Academy, right? Is to say, look, there are patterns and structures and the geography of this game dictates certain things. Uh, there's no point in trying to fight for St. Petersburg if you're Russia and England really wants it spend that energy, you know, taking Austrian dots and then try and get St. Petersburg back later because the geography dictates that England can always put more force up there than you can. Um, stuff like that, where there are things that you can learn that will make you a better diplomacy player that, that are not transparent, they're not obvious, you don't necessarily see them by reading the rules or even reading articles online, although there's a ton of articles online about all this stuff. Um, I'm, oh, sorry, you go, Kayla. Sorry, I, I'm just struck by how similar that um, philosophy of how the geography of the board kind of dictates players' movements and ebb and flow of, of games over a, like a, a meta-analysis. Um, you know, I, it, it just kind of strikes me how similar that is to kind of geographic determinism in the world stage uh, when it comes yeah. to, you know, real-life diplomacy. Um, I, 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 I don't know, I'm not really going anywhere with this. I just sort of thought that was an interesting kind of tangent um, to make. I, I, no, I, I agree. It's, there's a reason that people analyze the map, and there's a reason that people create variant maps for the game. And the, the things that they want to explore uh, when they create variants are, what if you did not have the specific geography and you had something that was either more balanced or differently unbalanced, and whether it's something that's really, really well designed, like Ancient Med, or um, I think the uh, Mahabharata is the Indian variant, um, and I think those are both David Cohen variants, um, but they're really well balanced, they're really well designed, or even just like the chromatic variant, which is, I think, five, six Italy's, uh, where all the boots stick out from them, you end up in a game where you're like, oh, 
there are no stalemate lines. This is pure negotiation and persuasion. And to my mind, it's, it's um, taking something away for the game that we play as sort of the normal vanilla game to explore another aspect of it. I played a lot of variants, not a huge fan uh, of them by and large, but I totally get why people create them and what makes them interesting to folks. Um, one thing I've got to say, Chris, is thank you for the shout out on one of your most recent videos. <laughs> hey, if you're not, if you're listening to this and you're not backing these guys on their Patreon, you should be. Come on, you can't get this kind of content, right? And and like I said on my show, right? Nobody's quitting their day job because they're getting an extra buck every time you do an episode. But man, when I look at that and I see that somebody has said, you know what, Chris? Every time you do a video, I'm gonna give you three bucks. I'm like. Wow, that means something because that's you know that's it's a real tangible expression of your interest. And I don't know about you guys, what you do, but I'm looking at my YouTube stats. I'm looking at like how many viewers I'm getting and where are they. And ah, oh, gosh, all of my viewers are in North America and they're white men between the ages of 25 and 45. How do I break out of that demographic? And I'm like, no, no, Chris, that is your demographic, so live with it. But like, <laughs> um, but I am concerned about those things. And I am looking at it. But, you know, since I came back online and put these things out, I've gone from about 300 subscribers to about 470 subscribers. And that's, that gives me a boost. That inspires me to keep making more episodes, right? Because I believe that people are getting something out of what I'm doing. And, and for you guys as well, I'm sure you must look at these things, right? You look at your stats. Occasionally, occasionally, yes. Um, but... What, what, I suppose what I was trying to get at was, I mean, at, at the moment we're probably the main podcast on the block. Um, yeah. That's kind of still in, in still happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric and, and Nathan aren't doing any more episodes. No, I think no, that's no. I think yeah. I think, think that's pretty clear. Um, then we've got you know yourself, who are probably the main person within the YouTube environment at the moment on the diplomacy scene. Maybe would you say? There are a couple of others, and actually, I'm looking forward to calling them out as well. There's some folks who are doing some analysis of uh, some web diplomacy games. They're really great, uh, and I don't want to mess up their names. I don't have them at my fingertips, so maybe I'll send you that link after. Um, and there are a couple other people who are. There was a guy who actually came up to DC and played for a Florida man. And he was doing some analysis of games. They do tend to focus more on what happened in this game, why did it happen, what did I do in this game, right? And I think that there's totally a place for that, and that's that's a very useful thing to, to consume if you're trying to learn how to play the game. You've got one player's thought process as they walk through the moves they had in the game. Um, but I also think that there are some concepts that are hard to get at from that angle. So that's not usually how I do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we've obviously got a number of um, e-zines that are out and about still and um, blogs and so forth. Where do you think that there's a gap in the market, so to speak, so that if you were a passionate diplomacy advocate and you, and you wanted – not necessarily you, but somebody wanted to give back to the community – where do you think that there's a, 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 a gap now or a potential gap in the future that they should start looking into? You know, I really think that it's less about a, a, um, a void in the market, right? Uh, what is it that diplomacy players crave? I don't know that I'm the right person to ask that. I'm, I'm in a 
in a different spot than most, I would argue, diplomacy players, right? Um, but I do think that if you want to give something back to the community and you're passionate about it and you have a thing that you do and you do that, then people will come and you will be adding value. And that can be anything from supporting a local club, showing up to play, volunteering to help organize in, in a local club or an online club. Uh, there's a ton of people who are just participating on Reddit uh, or participating on the forums at Backstab or participating on WebDip or PlayDip. And they are, in their own way, kind of building that community. The thing that diplomacy has, I would argue, needed was more people who know each other and have a relationship with each other. Because it's that web of connections right, that allows us to expand our reach outside of sort of the core demographic of, you know, people who come at it from war games, or people who come at it from chess, or people who come at it from political science, and draw in folks who would otherwise maybe not even know what a great game it is. Um, and so anything that anybody who's listening to this or watches any of my, uh, my videos can do to participate, you know, comment, like, share, subscribe, back somebody's Patreon, right? Uh, um, tip somebody with a coffee, like Brotherboard has a, a thing where you can just tip them a buck uh, and do that, and then you know show up to play, right? Participate. Those are the things that you can do, and any artistic creation that you can do, right? Whether you're creating variant maps or you're trying to, to organize people to, to play locally, or you're teaching kids, or you're knitting and crocheting a handmade diplomacy Afghan map. Uh, that would be amazing, right? <laughs> Anything that you're doing uh, will help will help to make the game better for everybody. Awesome. Okay, um, I think that's probably a good place to, to draw the line. Unless, Kano, have you got any other additional questions at the moment? No, just always good to talk to you, Chris. Uh, great talking to you guys too. My wife is super impressed that people in Australia know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted I to thought, visit, you know. Wait a second, my, my I, lifelong dream. Did we talk about this last time? No, no, no. But sorry, I thought I thought we were having an interview with the lead singer from Coldplay. Yeah, indeed. He actually came on to the, uh, the my my company Cisco's uh, big you know team call this week as our special guest, and people were like, "Hey, you're in two places at once." I'm like, "Yeah, it's really cute." I never <laughs> hear. <laughs> he seems like a really nice guy. That's that's good. Okay, thanks, Chris. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Oh, and we're back. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. So, oh, it's a good drop. Good little into. Oh, yes, it was. It's a very good drop. Um, I reckon it's probably our beer of choice if we have to pick up beer. Oh, your beer of choice. Oh yeah, so you can't get a forex bitter somewhere. Anyway, great little interview. Always good to hear words of advice from an experienced player mm. who's been around for quite some time. Um, you know, I, each time I listen to Chris talk. I get something new out of it. Yep. So I decide a little crack is going off. Going, oh, okay. You know, he's, he's got these words of advice around things that you know I never really put connections to before. Yep. So you know, like it's, it's almost like a almost throwaway thoughts as to why people make variants. Yeah. It's like, oh well, yes, actually, you're right. That's, that's a very insightful thing to say about variant creators in general. Indeed. How about yourself? 
No, look, look I think um, it was really interesting, particularly, I mean, I've, I've gone back subsequently and listened to a number of, or watched a number of the uh, YouTube videos in the Diplomacy Academy. And um, yeah, it's really, really good info, particularly um, with so many of the tournaments and everything currently going, doing things online, you know. Yeah. How do you actually, it's almost like a, a quick way for an online, sorry, a face-to-face player to learn how to use some of these online platforms. Yeah. Yep. So that was really good and really handy as well. So I think you touched on that. Um, his award collection. Oh, yeah. Yes, which is yes, always, yes. always great. Quite a few there. Um, but the other thing which is probably worth mentioning for, for listeners is um, we actually did, a, after that interview, we did another interview with Chris. For our Patreon listeners. For our Patreon listeners, which came out last week when you listened to this now okay um, and that was really good as well so we got some great feedback from patreon listeners that they found that very very insightful particularly around the way um, I suppose the way um, like what what has Chris learnt from other players recently that he tries to put into uh, into place which is some good inside Intel so without going into any more um detail about what's contained in that Patreon account. Um, it's, it's an easy thing to do to sign up to become a Patreon. Yep. And it's only a couple of bucks and it yep. you know, helps us, uh, helps helps us, us out. Helps, helps us with the beer and whatever like that. Yes. I haven't actually Keep kind going. of, haven't actually cashed out of the, <laughs> the Patreon account yet. I better do that sometime so we can kind of pay for the beer bills. But, um, but so patreon.com slash diplomacy games. Correct. Um, and speaking of Patreons, actually we've got two new Patreons recently. Yes. I've seen you get some contact details of some COVID safe stuff. Yep, sure, no problem. from the one of you or both of you if you'd like to be notified. So this is a new process um, that I've not come across before. So, so we're recording our details so that... If the police have come through, I'm gathering. Um, no, I think it's got more to do with the fact that if, like, you know, hypothetically somebody got corona oh, they could and they had actually yeah. came here, they could go, oh, this person was within a certain distance or whatever like that. So even though I've got my coronavirus app okay. running on my phone, this is like a double-blind safety. for us too, Cheers, mate. Yeah, you've got the, the app too, have you? Yeah. I've got the app, but as soon as I... <laughs> I'm a bad boy, Kane. I, I downloaded it because the idea being your people downloaded it. Enough people. They'll actually, enough people downloaded it, they would kind of start, you know, letting people start kind of do, you know, normal life. And as soon as I downloaded it, I kind of said all those things like, no, 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 don't force this to come on. It's never going to come on. Oh, my God. That's just, oh, you're crooked. Um, anyway. Actually, before we say hello to our new Patreons. Oh, yes. um, oh fuck. We spoke, I spoke briefly. Um, it's still working good. No, no, let's say hello to our new Patreons. I might just move your glass this way and I'll use that as a prop. Um, Our new Patreons are Michael Dimitri and Conrad Woodring. Welcome, guys. Welcome. And um, thank you for signing up. Hey, did they choose to be um, uh, ambassadors or anything special to... Michael, Michael Michael didn't say. Conrad said he had some ideas... But then you didn't get back to me on it. Doesn't matter. Okay, well, if you want to be a part of the cabinet, just nominate what area of government you'd like to um, control. Control, and we'll make you the um, it can be the diplomat real. in chief. It can be real, it can be entertaining and amusing. I think the best, not the best one, I think one of the most interesting ones we had was, um, 
Who was it? Commander of convoys. Commander of convoys, yes. <laughs> and then there was like the ambassador to Belgium. Ah, yes. So, so we're, we're gradually building up our um, our government. So, just let us know, lads, and we'll um, we'll give you that position. Because the way things are going, I think we're we're still got a good chance. I reckon come November. Yeah, there might be no one left in government. Um, <laughs> so, talking about things that are mispronounced, you're talking about uh, Ingebot. Yeah, that's right. And it's this kind of goes to prove my point as to you know these global press games. You know, there's over 103 pages of text already. It's not not even like whoa, really? It's not even like a couple of years into the game. Shit. And you know, I totally missed this correspondence from Ingebot. 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 No, he says it's it's in G as in G double E bot. That's what we've always been saying. Well, I think I've been saying Ingi. In Ingi. Ingebot. What's the difference phonetically between G E E? Is G E E G G G in G. Okay. He says it's like a hard G. So hard G is like a g g g. In g bot. In g bot. In g bot. Anyway. Um, but he actually makes reference to your um, hard one solo in the last Divided States Oh, game. good. I thought, we, yep. I thought we weren't talking about that game anymore. No, we're not. But, you know, like <laughs> these things have ripple effects. Uh, so I'll, I'll just bring it up. Um, so he's, he's talking about the Divided States game here. And he says, as the surviving Hawaii from Ambi Solo... I must say that failing to stop Ambi there after such a long struggle has really cast a shadow on how he views this variant. He still shudders to look at SFL, a sea lane, <laughs> that he is destined forever to attack and never occupy. So, SFL is the Straits of Florida, for those of you <laughs> who aren't familiar with the map. and It was one of the key uh, naval battle areas, which I think... He almost, almost, almost controlled. At one stage, I still... Because, you know, within the sea lanes, yeah. you've got your overseer zone or whatever in the middle. Yep. And then I think there was about four other areas around it. And the best that Ingebot got was overseer and I think three of the outside ones. But not all of them. But not all of them. <laughs> and I was able to kind of just chip, chip, chip away and just try to cut support and everything and eventually kind of... Pushing him all the way back again. But I think for quite a long while, he was in exactly the same boat but reversed, where I couldn't control all of it. I was always missing one part of the pie. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, He goes on to say why he actually took the bot part of his name. Oh, the Um, Ingebot. Yeah, the bot. Ingebot. Basically, he took inspiration from someone he played with on the site a long time ago, but he forgets the name. and basically the first part, the Ingi, was just gibberish that he thought up on the spot um, because it's, he thought it sounded cool. Well, well done, we Ingebot. Cheers. Cheers. And well done in kind of killing Kaner off quickly. Do yeah. you, you dead in that game now? Oh, well and truly. Yeah, yeah well and truly. Like, yeah, well and truly. And I'm glad I'm out of it. Like, it's just been a nightmare to try and keep up. Oh, yeah. Yes. So bravo to everyone who's still in that and managing to keep up with that, you know, waterfall of text. Anyway. I must admit, I'm not joining a lot of games at the moment. Oh, you're not? No, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to actually get a couple of games going, and every single time I don't get enough players joining. I sat a couple of your games recently. You what? Sat? Sat. Oh, yeah, you did too. I did. Yeah. Yeah, so we can talk about that. That's, that's on our, tr- our chat list. We might as well bring that up <laughs> organically. Might as well, yeah, good um, point. So you... you like, okay, so you contacted me, and you said, oh... Um, Kaner, I need you to sit my games. I'm going away for a week. Going out uh, bush. Going out bush. And I said, sure, yeah, okay. No worries, just send me the games. And you, and you being the, um, the Luddite, the, um, 
not a bad idea. Pro Magnon of digital technology. I don't yep. know. What? Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, oh, oh. When? Okay. Um, how do I do that? You know, as opposed, like thinking that you had to send me your password and your. How do we, log in do, we need to, do we need to let the mods know because then you'll be logged in in your account, but you know then you'll be using the same IP address but performing for me and. I was worried about you getting banned and me getting banned. And no, it's actually really simple. There's a, there's a country sitting or country swipping tool. Swipping? Switching. 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 So. <laughs> okay. One and a half schooners in. Um, yeah, it's a country switching tool, which is really quite easy to use. How did you find using it? Once I knew that it was there. Yes. And then also how to use it. Yeah. It was then easy. Okay. But it, I didn't find it an intuitive thing. So, so I literally had to take a screenshot. Yes. <laughs> circle the buttons you had to yes. press, and then, and then text that to you. Yes. So that you could follow the steps. So what would be interesting now? Because I can't remember actually what you sent. So to what extent I can kind of work it out again? Oh, so no. you're ruining it for me, Kenny. You're jumping oh, okay. ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, I now know I need to go to account. Yes. Account, country switch tool which would take you to logically where you would switch your countries. Yes. Yeah. It's slow, but anyway. Yeah, I know it's slow. And then, um, what, then you had to put in the user ID of who you were trying to switch it to? Correct. So you go down here to, well, you pick all, you your, game, your game, create new country switch, you pick the game, we'll do that one, and you switch to, oh, and the user ID. Yes. So then you write the user ID, you submit it, yeah, which is just your number. So everyone's got a user oh. ID, which is on your profile. Well, see, I would have interpreted user ID to be your username, oh. like the ambassador or Kana 406. Yes, no, it's not like that. It's your number. It's your number. Yeah. So but that, that's, that's not even clear there. Oh. It says, select the game you want to switch to another user. You can claim it back. Well, how does it work? The country switch tool allows you to give your position at the game. Many stores use blah, 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 blah. Doesn't tell you. Well, everyone's got a, okay. So everyone's got a user ID, and, and by the way, I, I happen to be user ID thirty-two. Yes. Because I was the thirty-second person to sign up to the new website. Good. Well, yep. Well um, done. Actually, less than that because there's a whole heap of dummy accounts set up. So. Okay. But the user ID. We're talking about VDIP, by the way, folks. Um, but is this? A, but, but is this code also on WebDIP? I'm not sure if the country switch tool lives on WebDIP or not. This is the problem. Is like there's certain bits and pieces that are kind of common between WebDIP and VDIP. Your user ID exists on WebDIP, right? So your WebDIP will have a user ID linked to the ambassador. Yep. My right. user ID is 60. So you're the 60th person to sign up to VDIP. Yeah. Yep. So, okay, now we've both talked about user ID numbers. What, yeah, happens so if, what happens if anybody out there works out, okay, I'm going to go away. I'm just going to randomly send all my games to Kana and Ambi. Okay, so I then get a request right. from the country switch tool, and I have to go in and say, accept, ah, accept. Right, so you can't just spam You can't spam someone else with, with okay. games. Um, we can spam them, just we don't necessarily automatically get them. Correct. Um, so, that, you know, once I select it, I'm then sitting the game for you. Yep. And then when you came back using the same switch tool, how did you find taking the game back again? Oh yeah, that was easy. Yeah, I just said, give, give back these games to me, Kane has fucked them up. 
and you got them back. And I got them back, and I was yeah. put them back on the right track. I think it's such a bad no, job. No, no, I, I take that piss. I take the piss. You did a, you did a good job. You didn't do a great job, but you did a good job. What did you expect me to do? I, like two I don't know. Like... Buddy, get some supply centres off people. Uh, Kill the people. Uh, we'll talk about that, you know, maybe a bit later. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. Maybe when we... I take, I take, I take, I take the piss. You did well. Reading. You did well. Yeah. Um, there probably wasn't as much comms with other players as I would have hoped. But, you know, you've got your real-life shit going on. Yep. You've got your own games going on. And then I kind of lump you with two other games. Yes. I, I did enough communication. Like, I, I, I wrote back to someone wrote back where I wrote to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't do any sort of negotiations around. No, you weren't necessarily proactive. You no, weren't kind of no. trying to set aside ground alliances no. and whatever. Yes, thank you. Ta. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Okay. Move a few things around. Just quite a few weeks. Okay. There we are, reorganising things. Now, we might need these um, serviettes. Right. Probably need a couple more. Probably, yeah, good idea. Cheers, mate. Alright. Um, okay. So, yes. Moving on from my um, discrepancies, no, my, my inability to, you know, give you a win in uh, a well, small they'll... game window. Yeah, was, look, you were never going to get a win, <laughs> because I was never going to get a win. And both of those games are still continuing, and... Um, you know, without doing necessarily a big round the grounds or anything like that, I think they're they're continuing to progress reasonably well. Okay, so I didn't oh, totally stuff up your position. That, that, that's what I wanted. No, 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 you didn't. You didn't totally stuff up the position. There's a couple of things I thought. Eh, I don't know why that happened, but I must admit I kind of, as we'll talk a little bit later, um, probably in the next episode, um, I, I made some some. Silly errors. Let's just we'll use that as a teaser for the next episode. Okay, right. Next episode. So I didn't necessarily give you the best of uh, hands to deal with. No, that's okay. I, I had fun sitting. Um, actually, something I've been promising to talk about, um, not so much on the podcast, but with people who I've just finished a game of, um, is um, sort of a dive into why I was thinking and what I did in an end of game statement. For EU four. Oh yeah, great. Um, which has just finished well, a few days ago now. Um, so that that's oh. um, a um, Europa Renovatio map. Can I say one thing very very quickly Please. with the country switch tool thing? Yeah. So we don't know because we don't go to WebDip too often. So poor form on our behalf, and I have no idea what the same functionality is over at PlayDip. Yeah. Or Backstabber. For that so. matter. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, um, if you play Playdip and you play Backstabber, go to diplomacygames.com, go to the, this particular episode's show notes. There's a comment area, tell us what to do, or how yeah. to do it, so that you know, other people can learn how to do it if they come from your platform. Cool. Back to EU4. Oh, yes, yes. yes. EU4, EU5, EU4. Yeah, EU, EU4. EU5 is still ongoing, by the oh, way. Okay, cool. so we've got oh. someone of the really interesting press. Um, so, this game I picked up. Hungry. Um, so this one's now over and done with. This is well and truly over and done with. Um, and I'm just going to swing right back to the sort of start, um, and then sort of talk through some of my major um, areas of thinking um, yep. as, as the game evolved. So Was I in this game, you were in this game. You were Tunis. Oh, that's true. No, you were Tlemcen. Tlemcen. Yeah. Yep. Tunis eliminated. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
So early on, my my goal essentially was to um, just go hard against Venice. I figured that he was going to be a pain in my backside where he was situated, mm-hmm. and I wanted to um, eliminate him as early as possible, um, which I pretty much did within the first... Um, you grew very quickly. I did. I was actually really surprised at how fast the countries grew, yep. um, just generally across the board. Um, and so this, this is one of those ones where countries just edged out a lot of like other countries really fast and ended up in a situation where there was um, just a few people left on the board um, relatively quickly. Um, I think really what happened that I, when was this? This was in, oh, just give me a date. 1470. Yeah, spring 1470. Um, is whilst I was getting rid of Venice, Naples, um, who I was hoping to ally with, um, sort of made a stab to Albania and went, right, you, I'm not going to trust you any longer and I'm going to lock down as much as possible the Adriatic. Because at that stage... But you didn't control the Adriatic. No, I didn't, but this is where I went... Oh, okay. that's your plan. You know, you've, you've just stabbed me. I can't trust you not to stab me again. Yep. I'm just going to secure the Adriatic and make that as my next sort of logical progression for security. Yeah, okay. I'd kind of made, of like, Lithuania and Ottomans. Um, we'd entered into some sort of, like, a bit of a detente. We were demilitarised against each other, and I was comfortable not to worry about my borders on that side at that time. So I was very lucky with them at this stage. Okay, yep. Um, I'd also kind of made peace with Bohemia, um, who initially started as a bit of a competition, mm-hmm. um, but he very quickly fell into like a, a struggle in his north and needed for his south to be safe. So yep. I was happy to fall into that sort of situation with him. Alright, so moving forward a couple of years, um, Naples is causing me a bit of grief, but I... Um, Kicked him off the Balkan Peninsula, <laughs> um, and then so how long did it take you to get into controlling the Adriatic? Well, total control, quite a few well, years. Well, no, no, not total control, but like it being a, the dominant power. Well, I made landfall on the Italian Peninsula in autumn 1485. Okay, good. Um, so that's three game years. Fuck, almost got that. And by, let's go up a few years, um, I was making significant gains. So this, this variant moves up every, by five years, every turn, every, every, um, you lost a couple of things back every there. year. Sorry? Don't matter. No. Um, oh, I did too. No, so by about, um, 1510, I'd controlled about half, like the southern half of Italy. Um, at the same time, Lithuania um, was making some bizarre moves. Mm. I was kind of expecting, like he was showing, like he was he wasn't trusting Moscow and he wasn't trusting me. And I thought, okay, I'll just remove him from the board. 
because it looked like Moscow was um, Muscovy was sort of gearing up for so an attack. So Muscovy was like the, the big um, eastern player, wasn't it? Yeah, correct. So by this stage, this guy sort of conquered all the way from the Crimea up to Scandinavia. Most of Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, what I was hoping to happen there was that you know Lithuania should fall pretty quick, and I was hoping for Moscow to go, oh yeah, okay, let's let's just be friendly on this border where we meet each other, and he can then focus his forces north or south. But instead, he um, he just kept on that. So that sort of ended any kind of sense that I was going to be friendly with him. Yep. Yep. Denmark, of course, is um, growing pretty exponentially as well. Um, and so I made the decision that Bohemia... As Denmark always seems to do in this map. For some reason. Um, and the Teutonic Knights were going to be my mates in the north. I was going to protect them. I'm not going to attack them. I'm going to try and get them through for as long as I can. Was that... Did you have... Because that Was that sympathies because you were playing another game as Teutonic Knights? Yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, These are messy wings. Tasty? Oh, they're fucking tasty. I don't know how, I don't know how you're going to operate your iPad and also... Um, eat them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, the answer is you can't. Um, so I guess around... Ooh, it been around the same time. Yeah, so spring 1515. I just sort of... I remember this moment, I think. Yeah, removed Lithuania from the map with the help of Muscovy. And I was thinking, where to next, right? Naples is on the way out. I didn't want to attack Teutons or Bohemia because they were battling Denmark. Why did you have these two um, little units down here self-supporting each other when there's nothing around? Well, it's because Teutons kept on keeping a unit in reverse. Oh, so you thought this was like, totally trust me. Um, well, I get that, but I just wanted to keep a couple of units in reserve and I could afford to. Yep. yep. Um, so then I decided to, you know, stab, stab the Ottomans. Yes, nice. Yep. In my, um, in my thinking, you know, Ottomans had been pushing hard against Kwarakulu. Yep. And uh, QQ had been basically pushed right back to the edge of the map almost, right? Mm. And I thought that by attacking the Ottomans... Or Kulu would hold, would sort of give me a, like a, a debt of gratitude, and want to try and ally with me yep. against my obvious potential enemy, potential the Mus enemy, Moscow, which was proving to be, you know. But maybe he didn't want to pick a fight though. Well, yeah, but he, he's, he's relatively safe against Moscow. Yeah. Because he's got a very narrow front. He's got a narrow front, right? So, what I was hoping for was for Borakulu to sort of ally against. Moscow with me and then I could sort of rejig my fleets and sort of stab Tunis because yep. at that time Tunis was really engaged um, in his west um, as it turns out what ended up happening was um, I execute my stab against the Ottomans you know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in this situation where I'm inviting Korakalu into Constantinople uh, not Constant, the adjacent KOC, whatever that is, the other side of Constantinople. Um, and he, he doesn't take it. He's, he's, he starts trying to support Ottomans at, at the end of its life. Really? 
for a while there and then um, just decides he's going to start attacking me. Even Farrell yeah, even though I sort of supported him, I saved his ass against the Ottomans, which, I, I, you know, anyway. So, well, stuff that, so, you know, I just ended up, kept on pushing against Quarrow At that time, I really, you know, tried to cement my non-aggression pact with Tunis because I thought, well, you know, flush that idea down the toilet yep. of, you know, stabbing him because, you know, he's my next be best bet as, a, uh, as an ally. Um, and Milan starts attacking me, so it's like, oh, well, okay. You know, I just wanted to secure the Adriatic, but okay, I'll um, have to keep fighting up northwards on that peninsula. Can I just, just go down for a second? Yeah. Does that look rather phallic to you? <laughs> now that you mention it. <laughs> Sorry, is this a positioning of certain coloured territory? So this looks a bit... Yeah, it looks a bit odd. It looks um, a bit, yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter. Anyway, such as it is. <laughs> Back to the main game. Episode 69, isn't it? That? Yeah. <laughs> it is episode 69, that's right. So uh, we need to have at least one or two references there. Yeah. Um, so I entered into this long, protracted battle against Milan and Borokalu um, eventually in, in a couple more seasons. But I, I really wasn't making... I was making progress against Milan, Milan yep. but it wasn't really until Savoy sort of threw his weight into removing Milan from the map that um, that Milan ended up collapsing, essentially. Yep. Yep. Um, at this stage, um, oh, this, is, this is another key moment here. Autumn 1535, I moved two armies north because Bohemia was on the verge of collapse yep. from Denmark. And I go, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's no way he's going to see my move from LIN to BJV and OSM to BRN as... As aggressive. As, as aggressive, because I'm leaving myself wide open for him just... Whose territories were they beforehand? Oh, they were Bohemias, but they're ah. just neutrals. Yeah, okay. Surely, because I've been sending him support holds and haven't been attacking him... He'll see that as me moving there to support his units against Denmark. Apparently not. No. So the mongrel, the, mo the mongrel, fucking <laughs> does exactly, I remember this. You know. Um, then he had that that rogue unit running around, burning and pillaging on a chevorse all around your countryside, didn't he? Yeah. He, he basically took that as an aggressive move and's gone. Ah, stuff you. I, I'm, I'm just going to throw my units against you because, and I, I wasn't even going to attack him. I was going to support him. Like I really was. Um, so yeah, so he gets a unit behind my, you know, my line and down towards Budapest. He ends up getting it all the way down to um, down here, down towards Albania. Ras. No, it's Serbia. Oh, Serbia. Um, anyway, so. The second he did that, it's like, oh, well, you know, all bets are off. And then he starts attacking the Teutonic Knights and moving up that way too. Yeah, he's like, oh, bugger this. You so know, screw gonna... you guys, I'm just going to have a bit of fun now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. who, who, who played well, Bohemia? We'll have to check. Uh, who played Bohemia? That was... Um, I need to go back on that one, one, two. We'll get to that in a sec. Yep. Um, it was at that stage where I kind of fell into where my units ended up and where Savoy's units ended up. That's basically where we just drew a line and said, okay, this is where we're at. 
and we didn't make any sort of aggressive moves against each other from that point. Once Milan was dead. Once Milan was dead, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so basically that that that. that this is so funny next. when Bohemia's just running around in your rear, just burning and pillaging. Yeah, so he manages to you know extend his life for a good. So how many how many years. units did you have to send down I, I to crush him? Having to send one, two, three, four units down to just make sure that he's gone. Four units to get rid of his one, because as you know, like if he establishes a, like yeah. territory behind, you're stuffed. Well, yeah. that's what we've talked about before. That um, it was Morocco. No, Tim sent it to um, Scotland in that other game. Yeah, that's when right. Yeah. Atomic Knights. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm still throwing my support to the Teutons because I want to keep him alive. You know, as a loyal, you know, side loyal kid. client's sake. Yep. Yeah. Um, Didn't go batshit crazy like the bloody Bohemians. Yeah, exactly. Um, Ottomans, you know, finally collapsed. Um, Quora Kalu's, you know, attacking me. You know, Tunis has decided to attack Quora Kalu. There's a big old battle happening in the Black Sea. But, you know, I've, I've kind of reached the limit of my expansion. I've got a few more, you know, supply centres that I get to pick up. But um, what happens, essentially, is I get through to... Um, Gets through to 1560, autumn 1560, and everyone's got their draw vote in, except for Denmark. So it was a, it wasn't hidden draws. No, it was public draws. Yeah, and it, it became pretty obvious that Denmark was holding out for the smaller powers to be removed. Yep. Um, How so many smaller powers were left? Just Teutons. Teutons and, and um, Korakalu. You know, I thought maybe Quora could draw after the Teutons had been removed. So I thought I'd speed up that process. I felt bad about that. So we had to kill Teutons? Had to kill off Teutons. Oh. Um, which I was a bit bummed about, but, you know... Um, we'll see that'll just prolong the game indefinitely. Yep. Um, and then it turns out that Denmark didn't vote for a draw. He was still holding out for Quora Kalu. Yep. Um, at this time, Savoy goes into civil disorder and gets picked up by a second player okay so at this stage I'm thinking uh, you know is my flimsy line of where we ended up going to hold yep basically in, in Italy and I just wasn't sure about that so what, what happened then with this new player they started actually oh they started what happened was this new player went oh I'm going to attack Denmark <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant mm. mate if you, if you see it as, as Steve Winwood would say if you see a chance take it yeah, exactly. Um, so he he did that, um, and it just so happened that the next turn, after he'd made a couple of gains on Denmark, um, Korakalu um, was removed from the game, and Denmark hit a draw. My final set of moves was... Probably because he was also being attacked by Savoy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so well done, Savoy, for that. But my final set of moves attacking Savoy was sort of preempting, you know, if Savoy withdrew his draw vote because he was in a really good position yeah if he withdrew his draw vote you were then going to ally with Denmark against him exactly so Denmark would have had to have allied with myself and Tunis would have been in a good position because we've been kind of working a little bit yeah over there against Crocolo yeah would have seen the extreme danger of Savoy just becoming incredibly strong and getting like a solo shot lovely end of the game um, yeah just ended on that so it ended up in autumn 1580 Okay, cool. Yeah. 
So um, that's two big games that you sorry. When I say big games, the EU, sorry, the uh, Europa Renovatio game is normally about 35, 36 players. Yep. And I'm two, you've had two games now where you've drawn with only about literally a handful of players in it. So you must have got another bit of a uh, points that, boost. That gave me a big old points boost from 1477 through to 1740. Ooh. Which puts me on the, lead on, on the scoreboard. You're but, in um, the top 100? Yeah. Really? What are um, you now? I'll tell you in a second. Okay, well, um, I'm, I'm just, just wanna... really, really proud of you, and I'm, I'm hopefully you're going to oh. start taking this to heart, and you're going to so, get very competitive. And I just want to give a <laughs> shout out to the players who I've just spoken about. Oh yes, um, Denmark was um, Orange. So well done, mate. I've never heard of Orange. Well, he's making some significant. Yeah, he's doing um, well. He's doing well. Kicking, kicking goals. Um, Savoy was taken over by Xenon Radon. Yep. Um, how, did, how did he go? And actually, he didn't get that much of a boost. No, he because he took over a power. Ah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. He gotcha. still got a boost, but he took over. Um, Cos Cosmo. Oh my God. Cosmopotrix. Cosmopteryx. Cosmopteryx. Yeah. Was Musco, and I got to say, mate, like you, you were belligerent the whole game. Um, Would have been nice to have been friends with you, but yep. Um, Good old steampunk shogun. Steampunk shogun is Tunis. Um, and I'm glad I didn't end up stabbing him, actually. Like, he worked out to be a good ally. Um, he was slowly building up his fleet strength to myself. Yep. And it was an area I was really starting to get paranoid about. Um, and myself, as Hungary. Um, the other characters I've spoken about in this little run, um, Bohemia, was Diplo Poet. Oh, OK. Um, you could have... Honestly, kept yourself in the running for being in that draw there, mate. Except for that little rogue unit, that was it. Oh, yeah, that a bit of, bit of advice there from Diplo Poet from a uh, top 100 master. Um, I spoke about Lithuania, yep. who was played by Magical Sand. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, your paranoid moves led me to assume that you weren't going to be reliable. Yep. Had you just sort of held your units to your east or to your north. I would have been much more comfortable leaving it as it was. Um, so Naples, who kind of picked on you early. Well, hang on. Um, Milan. Oh, Milan. Oh, Milan, yes, yes, yes. Jason 4747. Yep. Put up a good fight. Um, Naples. Yoda Man King. Mate, it was when you attacked me for no real reason after sending support to me that just led me to invade Italy. Um, Ottomans. Ubicacia. Ah, yep. No, I'm not sorry about that now. Um, <laughs> is that because it's Ubicacia? Uh, yeah, uh, there's a bit of a bit, bit, bit of a rivalry there. Oh, for okay. A while. Okay. Um, Quarakoralu. Is that the next one on the. Yeah, Quarakoralu. Mephisto. Mm-hmm. He's, been, he's a pretty damn good player, usually. Yep. Um, and he. he no, to be perfectly honest, um, yeah, I don't know why he attacked me straight off the blue. I'd like to hear that. Um, Mephisto, if you could let us know. And Teutonic Order, Temasek 22. Yep. Um, okay, I've, I've played a few games with Temasek. Yeah, we've played with him before, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, sorry I couldn't keep you in the um, in the draw, but it was about uh, finishing the game off before Denmark kind of really went hard. And Venice, who I went after hard early on, Mac, M-A-K. Well done, everybody. Yes. Well done to those who drew and got the fruits of their labour. Oh, and I, sorry, I need to shout out also to the previous Savoy 
Um, Which would be down further if you look down the page, wouldn't it? No? Um, oh, yeah, I was going to go to whoever. Yeah, I don't think it'll say. Oh, yeah, here it is. No, no. that's Milan. Yeah, probably at the down bottom. The bottom right? yeah, it does. It does tell us now. Um, Pierre Savoy was lovely pink egg. Lovely pink egg. So I don't know what happened there. But, you know, such as it is. The graphs on these things are always interesting to look at, especially these larger maps. Yep. Um, and this is a wonderful little feature that's been introduced. It's a, It's been brought over from the Russian side. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's Flame, I think, who programmed this stuff. Oh, those um, Russians. But it, you know, it's like a, it's one of those zero sum percentage yep. graphs which show like how much people own of um, the regions. As they go um, up and down. Yeah. So, oh no, I, Denmark was for, a, you know, for the first quarter was in the lead, and then I was in the lead, and then Denmark got back into the lead. The funny thing is here is that visually Muscovy seemed to be in the lead but obviously that's because the territories are just so much bigger yeah when you're looking at the map compared to the little yeah. small itsy bitsy things in you know central Europe yes anyway cool very very good um, so how where are you now in the uh, the hall of fame oh I knew you were going to ask um, let's just open that up keep hitting the wrong button you got that one right now did I get that no no we'll soon find out no, no you hit the wrong button again Definitely put me up. Um, so the active players the last six months. It's brought me up to. Here we are. Four forty-eight. Forty-eight. You're not just top hundred. You're top, top 50. fifty. Well hey. done. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. We'll get you into the top ten before you know it. Not likely. Not with these last couple of games I've been playing, but we'll get onto that later. We will indeed. Hey, I was just thinking maybe we might start um, wrapping this particular episode up. Yes. But we want to make special mention first up to um, Eric Van Mecklen, who yep. who has kind of asked us, well, kind of asked us, he kind of flagged with us um, a few episodes back saying, hey, would you like to kind of talk about this? And I went, yeah, 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 and then we keep forgetting, which is um, really poor form on our behalf. Poor That's form, because we were drinking too much. Yep. So um, Eric's actually now got, you might remember from our um, interview with him, he's now actually got an audio book out. So, um, oh, audio book? Yeah, an audio book, which talks all around, you know, um, you know, tactics and how to play diplomacy and whatever is, is like that. Is he reading it or has he got someone to read it? I don't know. I haven't actually listened to it. So I, I'm only just giving you, giving listeners an idea that it's out there. I can't okay, vouch yeah. for the quality of it. And uh, well, then yeah. <laughs> it's not like we've got a free kickback and we've got a chance to read it for free or anything. But um, I think it's one of these. Um, actually, we probably could have because it's one of these audio books where you get to um, you pay for it what you think it's what it's worth. Okay, where do I need to go to get that? Uh, it's a very very long URL. Oh, so God. probably the best way to find that long URL is to go to diplomacygames.com, uh, look for the um, uh, the show notes for episode sixty nine where we will have the, uh, the link through to the script website where you can, um, you know, can download it there. But I think it's, yeah, it's basically, basically you can kind of, there's a, a suggested amount you need to pay, which wasn't huge. It was only about, uh, I can't remember. I'm not going to say what it was because I can't really remember. And the, the name of the book is? Um, Strategy yes. for Face-to-Face. No. no, it's called Diplomacy Conversations, How to Win a Diplomacy or Strategy Face-to-Face Online and Tournaments. 
sounds right down my alleyway. I love I love audiobooks. I don't listen to audiobooks, don't you? No. Oh. I listen to a shitload of podcasts, but I don't actually listen to audiobooks. When do you listen to your audiobooks? When? Yeah. Um, well, when I'm doing repetitive tasks at work, um, when I'm driving to and from work, um, and before bed as well. But often I'll put on podcasts as well, but I think my ratio is about 80% audiobooks, 20% podcasts. There we go. Well, you're a prime candidate for this wonderful book by Eric. Brilliant. All right. Well, shall we wrap this episode up? I think we will. That was episode 69 with only one um, cheeky reference. Hey, did we get um, raunchy music for this one? Or? <laughs> what, what, what type of raunchy music? We can just like, a little bit of Barry White or something. Yeah, 80s porn music or something. <laughs> anyway, I'm Kana. I'm Ambie. Cheers. Cheers.